welcome to Two Book Minimum, where I think I may need a new tagline because I'm not sure I can keep up with reviewing two books on a weekly basis. I'm Monica Fumarolo. Well, I took another accidental hiatus there, so I'm considering this episode a bit of a soft relaunch. What was I up to? Why, thank you so much for asking, mystery listener, since I don't know who you are because I'm still not able to navigate much in terms of my listenership analytics. This show started out as a grad school project, and despite my absence, I really do enjoy making it. However, my aforementioned grad school responsibilities, along with my full-time job as a middle school teacher librarian and, you know, just general life stuff, made this endeavor the thing that got pushed to the bottom of the to-do list. However, I have now finished my second master's degree from Purdue University a few weeks ago. The holidays are behind us, and that means I actually have time to read again, and thus will have books to talk about and opinions to share. So while this episode is a reading recap of sorts, I think it's also fair to take this as a bit of a getting a head start on my New Year's resolutions and keeping on top of the show. I'm writing and recording this as of December 29th, 2023, and I'm not confident that I'll complete either of the two books I'm currently reading by the time the clock strikes 12 on New Year's Eve. And so, in the order that I read them, and without further ado, of the 126 books that I completed this year, here are the 10 books that particularly stood out to me from 2023. Buckle up, listeners. This episode is gonna be a long one. Wayward by Amelia Hart was published this year by St. Martin's Press and is an adult historical and yet also contemporary fantasy slash magical realism novel. It was the first book that I completed in 2023, and may I say, it set the bar pretty high. In this family saga, spanning from the 1600s to present day, the women Waywards each have an intense connection with the natural world that carries repercussions unique to the time periods in which these three protagonists live. The women are separated by time, but their lives are still very much intertwined. In terms of vibes, this book reminded me a lot of The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow, which was coincidentally one of my favorite novels last year. So if you liked that, I highly recommend that you try this. This was also a debut novel, which completely blew me away, and I cannot wait to see what she writes next. Arch Conspirator by Veronica Roth is a science fiction novella retelling of the ancient story of Antigone and was published by Tor in February 2023. Clocking in at 112 pages, to paraphrase the bard, it may be little, but it is fierce. If I had to guess, this was the book that I wouldn't shut up about the most this year, the one that I recommended to absolutely anyone who would listen. In this extraordinary world that manages to be both futuristic and calling to times past, this tale has chapters from multiple points of view and shows how palaces can be prisons and there can be triumph in tragedy. I have adored Veronica Roth's recent forays into adult fiction, and I can't get enough. I would say you may get more out of this story if you are familiar with the original Antigone, but I hadn't read that since I was a senior in high school many, many moons ago. So maybe just refresh yourself with the Wikipedia summary and then jump into this. If you're familiar with the original, you can more fully appreciate the brilliance of the parallels and modernizations that Roth has done here. Curtis Sittenfeld's latest book, Romantic Comedy, has a place on a lot of best-of lists this year. And I can see why. I totally agree. 
published by Random House in April. This was the first piece of fiction I read that incorporated COVID-19, and I think it did it incredibly well. But as the title suggests, this book feels good. It's not a downer. It's got the pandemic, but maybe not in the way you think. But most of this book takes place in 2018. Sally is a sketch writer on an SNL type of TV show, and one episode seems to turn her preconceived notions on their head. During this one particular week, Sally's decidedly average-looking office mate and fellow comedy writer is suddenly in a relationship with a gorgeous celebrity who, looks-wise, is completely out of his league. And he's the third guy in recent memory at the show that this has happened to. Sally is convinced that there's some kind of underlying truth here about average guys who are funny getting with attractive women. Or if it's not true, maybe at least it's the bones of a good sketch. She works on this the same week that popular singer and ultra-attractive Noah Brewster is on set as both the host and musical guest. And over the few days that he's around the studio, he and Sally seem to have clicked. But that goes against all that she's experienced so far in life. Good-looking men don't go for plain women, right? I won't say more, but... The book doesn't stay in 2018 the whole time. As I've said, the pandemic is a part of this story, but I loved the authentic portrayal of it, particularly the way that lockdown impacted all of us psychologically and emotionally. There are always new books coming out to enjoy, but I can easily see myself rereading this one. Shaking things up a bit, I actually got some nonfiction on the list this year. Some people like their true crime to be about the macabre and murder, but blood and guts aren't really my style. Instead, I'll take The Feather Thief, Beauty, Obsession, and the Natural History Heist of the Century by Kirk Wallace Johnson, and published by Penguin in 2018. Months after reading this, my feelings are still raw and my blood still boils at how this whole story turned out. In 2009, an American flute player studying in England who was also widely celebrated in the niche world of classical salmon fly tying broke into a natural history museum and stole hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of birds preserved in the collection. Birds collected by Charles Darwin and his contemporaries. Birds that helped prove the theory of evolution. Birds that are now long extinct, literally irreplaceable. You can't make up these characters or this wild situation, and books like this remind me that I really do need more nonfiction in my reading rotation. But back to the fantastical, or at least books that feel magical. The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer was published by Ballotine Books, and I immediately found it nostalgic and charming. Lucy is a grown woman who loved the Clock Island books as a child so much so that she's passed her adoration to Christopher, the young boy who she desperately wants to adopt. Life feels like it has hit absolute rock bottom for both of them when news comes out that could change everything. The reclusive author of those books, Jack Masterson, has written a single copy of a new book in the series, and there will be a contest to win it on his real-life Clock Island home. Could Lucy finally get her miracle that she's been praying for her whole life? This story is cozy and comforting, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It is, however, an ode to the transformative power of stories, particularly those we read when we are young, and how they can shape the people we become. Is this episode too long? Is this too much? 
I know this is an audio medium, so you can't see this, but I am directing my questions to my dog right now, and very rudely, she's not responding. Okay, let's keep going. Now, on to the weirdest book I read this year. It's Middle Game by Shannon McGuire, published by Tor in 2019. Now, when I say weird, I mean that as the highest of praise. I give this compliment from the highest of lights. I have adored McGuire's Wayward Children series for literally years, but have never read any of her other books before this. This science fiction fantasy novel was always on my mind. When I wasn't reading it, I was thinking about it. Our two protagonists are Roger and Dodger. They are strangers, except for the fact that they seem to be telepathically linked, a secret ability they tap into as children, and that is just the tip of the iceberg here. This book also features secret societies, alchemy, math and language as sources of superpowers, for lack of a better word, and all of this plays into the fact that the world is ending. Roger and Dodger are not quite humans, but also not quite gods, and yet they wield incredible influence over each other and the fate of humanity. I really want to read the books that exist within this book because McGuire is so extra and actually wrote them because I want to keep this going. This book was outside my comfort zone, and I love it when I find a book that is both outside my comfort zone and then immediately part of it. This is something I just can't wrap my head around still and can't say enough great things. A book that was, however, solidly inside my comfort zone was the latest translation of one of my favorite authors. Antoine Lorraine's novels are short, but they always pack an emotional punch. An Astronomer in Love was first published in French in 2022, then in English by Gallic in 2023. And despite only coming in at 218 pages, it manages to cover two completely different narrators living 250 years apart, united by a telescope and the magic of the heavens above. In the 1700s, astronomer Guillaume Le Gentil sets sail to witness the transit of Venus, an instance when the planet crosses between the sun and the earth. It occurs once every 121 years, then again eight years later, then not again for another 105 years. Centuries later, in 2012, real estate agent Victor comes into the possession of an antique telescope left behind in an apartment he recently sold. He keeps it, meaning to look skyward with his son, but before that can happen, he catches sight of his neighbors, one of whom is a beautiful woman with a zebra in her living room. And that is where the story starts. No one does novellas quite like Lorraine, and this story weaved together characters and events in a way that makes me believe in the magic of everyday things all over again. For a school librarian, I realized that there's not much on this list geared toward young people, but fear not, I did not forget the tweens and teens I serve. This year, a standout for me was The Thieves' Gambit by Kayvon Lewis, a debut novel published by Nancy Paulson. Perfect for fans of the Inheritance Games, Heist Society, and City Spies, this is the first in a planned YA series and follows Ross Quest. At 17, she's already a master thief. It is, after all, the family business. But when a job goes wrong and Ross's mom is held for ransom, Ross enters the highly secretive and selective competition for up-and-coming cons, the Thieves' Gambit. Expected to pull off heists in some of the most secure locations in the world, it's Ross's only chance to save her mom. 
But first, she must defeat competitors, including her childhood friend-turned-nemesis and a smooth-talking pretty boy who makes her wonder what life would be like if love were allowed. You know, the way it is for normal teenagers. This is action-packed and a great mystery thriller for the younger set. My science fiction tastes are usually less about aliens and more grounded in how science impacts the human experience. Such was the case in Kate Chess's novel, Famous Men Who Never Lived, first published by Tin House Books in 2019. Here, a catastrophic nuclear war has pushed people to the edge of survival and pushed some people into an alternate universe, that is, our universe. Hell is one of them, a refugee in our universe's New York City, which is eerily similar and yet completely different from the home she left behind. As best as she can tell, the split between common history and her world's version of events happened somewhere around 1909 and has something to do with an author. She mourns the life she left behind and the memories she carries of people who, in this world, never even existed. At the center of her story is a novel by someone who never lived, that mysterious author I mentioned before. He wrote a book called The Pyronauts, and while it was a beloved novel back where she's from, here there's only one copy. It's the copy that her now quasi-boyfriend brought with him through the portal to this New York City. Two main questions push at the center of this plot. Why did the split in timelines happen? And how can these refugees just be expected to move on? This book challenged me and kept me questioning, and I hope this author writes more in the future. And finally, last but certainly not least, is a YA novel that plays with form and packs an emotional gut-wrenching punch as only Shakespeare could. Yes, you heard that right. Enter the Body by Joy McCullough was published by Dutton and is a brilliant read for those ages 15 and up. Examining the role of women in Shakespeare's tragedies, McCullough explores how these leading ladies were often robbed of voices and choices. Juliet of Romeo and Juliet, Ophelia from Hamlet, and Cordelia from King Lear sit together in the room that exists beneath the theater stage, surrounded by their fellow fallen, each of these three ladies telling their stories in verse. But within that poetic format, they each have a distinct style, voice, and perspective on what happened to them, each wondering to a different extent how it could have all been different. As they share, they also judge, as women are taught to do, while at the same time being urged to be united in the sisterhood. But eventually, the dialogues and challenges become concern and care. At the end of the day, and in light of America's current political landscape, I think this is a must-read for young men and women and anyone identifying as anything. If you are human, this is a story that you should read. The emphasis in this story lands on the fact that we must each do what we feel is right for us individually, and we have a right to choose and decide and feel I also think this book would make a fantastic stage production, so all you Broadway types who may be listening, get on that. So there you have it, 10 books that I'm recommending that I've read this year. There are plenty more that I enjoyed too, but 10 is just a nice round number. My plans in 2024 are to continue shopping my shelves and taking on some of the many sequels I keep meaning to read, but that's a topic for another episode, most likely the next episode. I wish you all a very healthy and happy new year. 
may your bookshelves be full of promise. I'm currently reading both The Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwith and I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. And until next year, happy reading. <laughs>